Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 10. And on Wednesday nights, we've been moving through the book of Leviticus one chapter a week and just seeing what we can learn. And uh, tonight will be no different. We're just going to try to move our ways through the chapter and make see some lessons here and applications as we go on. Leviticus chapter 10 is famous uh, for two characters. And, of course, the, the, the book of Leviticus is mainly... Uh, a, a like a letter form format in the sense that we're reading the writings and the instructions that are given to Moses. But in the last chapter, in this chapter, are the two chapters that are narratives. They're actually stories uh, that we're learning about events that took place. And of course, chapter 10, you deal with uh, Nadab and Abihu. If you look at verse 1, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon, and offered, I want you to notice this word, strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And then, of course, you have the response there from God. In verse 2, it says, And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now think about how terrible of a death that must be to be consumed with fire. The Bible says that God sent fire and consumed these young men, and they died there. And You've got to ask yourself, you know, the question, what is it that they did that was so bad? What is it that they did that was so terrible that would cause God to respond in this way? And this is just one of many lessons we can see in this chapter. We'll try to cover all of them as we go. But the first one, I want you to notice, and if you'd like to write the statement down, here's the first lesson, the first statement is this. We must do God's will, God's way. We must do God's will, God's way. See, they offered strange fire before the Lord. The word strange there means foreign or alien. It was not uh, acceptable fire. And, and you've got to get it in its context. In fact, if you remember from last week, and if, just look at uh, verse 24 of the last chapter, uh, chapter 9 there, just the last verse of the previous chapter, to get a little bit of the context. Remember, this is a narrative. It's a story. Uh, chapter 10 is basically uh, connected to chapter 9. If you look at verse 24, the Bible says, and there came fire out from before the Lord. Remember the climax of last uh, week's uh, chapter, lesson, was that after they made all the sacrifices, after they'd done everything they were supposed to do, when they put the final sacrifices there, the fire that consumed that sacrifice was from the Lord. There came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So here's what you need to understand. God had provided the fire for the sacrifices that were already there. That fire was not supposed to go out. That fire was supposed to stay there, and they were supposed to keep adding uh, wood to it and keep adding sacrifices to it, keep, keep it going. That was the fire they were supposed to use. They were supposed to use the fire that God had provided. It, it, you're there in Leviticus 10. Keep your place there. Go back to Exodus chapter number 30. Exodus chapter number 30. And here's what you need to understand. They'd already been told this. They, they'd already been instructed this, that they were not to bring strange fire, meaning God gave them the fire. The fire in verse 24 says that there, uh, Leviticus 9, 24, and there came a fire out from before the Lord. But this is what Nadab and Abihu decided to do. They said, here is the fire that God has provided, but we're going to just basically bring our own fire. 
They brought a fire, and it's called a strange fire because its source was not from God. They sparked that fire up themselves. They started that fire up themselves. And you say, well, what's the, what's the matter? You know, fire is fire. But what it matters is this, that they had been given instructions. Are you there in Exodus chapter 30? And I want you to remember, in Leviticus 10.1, it says that they put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. When they offered strange fire before the Lord, they were offering incense. That's why they uh, had the fire going for the incense. Are you there in Exodus 30? Look at verse 9. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 9. Notice the instructions that they had already been given. The Bible says this, Ye shall offer no, notice this word, strange incense thereon nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offerings, neither shall you pour drink offerings thereon. God had already told them, I don't want foreign fire. I don't want alien fire. God had already told them, I'm going to provide the fire, and I want you to use that fire. And here's what I want you to get. You say, well, what is strange fire? Go back to Leviticus chapter number 10. What is strange fire? Well, number one, strange fire is fire, strange fire, and here's what you need to understand. We obviously don't do sacrifices today, but we can apply this in a practical way to Christian life and Christian ministry today. And strange fire is basically when we choose to use something that God has not provided. God had already provided the fire, but Nadab and Abihu said, we don't want God's fire, we'll provide our own fire. See, you say, what strange fire? You know, what, how could we apply that? What, what was the problem? The problem is that God had already provided the fire that they were supposed to use. Strange fire is when we choose to use what God, ha- when we choose to not use what God has already provided, and we want to bring our own methods, our own own thoughts, our own way of doing it. But there's another characteristic of strange fire. You're there in Leviticus 10. Look at verse 1 again. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered a strange fire before the Lord. Notice this, which he, that's the Lord, commanded them not. Remember, we saw in Exodus 30 already, he had told them, I don't want you to bring strange incense. And so you say, what are the characteristics of strange fire? Well, number one, it's when we choose not to use what God has already provided. And number two, it's when we choose not to follow the commandments of God. And the way that we would apply it today is this. See, when it came to the Levitical law and the Levitical priesthood and the Levitical offerings, they were supposed to do what God had ordered them to do. And Nadab and Abihu could could argue the fact, hey, we're just doing what God told us to do. God told us to bring this incense. God told us to bring this sacrifice. God told us to bring this fire. But here's what you need to understand. We are not only to do God's will, we are to do it God's way. We must follow the directions that God has given for us. See, today, you say, how do you apply that today uh, in 2017? Today, God has given us his perfect word, has he not? The Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. The Bible says, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And and see, God gave us, in the English language, the inspired, inerrant, uh, preserved word of God, the King James Bible. But you know, today, most churches, they say, no, let's not use the King James It's kind of old with all those these and thous. It's too confusing. If it's too confusing, then why do they make high school kids read Shakespeare? Every year. You know, if it's too confusing, isn't it the same English from Shakespeare? And they're like, no, it's too confusing. It's not interesting. Let's use the new international version. Let's use the new King James version. Let's use the new American Standard or the ESV. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with it. Those did not come from God. 
I mean, when they've removed 16 verses, when the modern, and I'm not preaching about Bible versions, I'm just using it as, as an example. But, you know, when the modern Bible versions attack the deity of Christ, they attack the virgin birth, they attack salvation by grace through faith, not of works, when they attack key doctrines and they're constantly attacking the Lord Jesus Christ, removing his name, calling him Satan, those Bibles did not come from God. Today, we have many churches that are saying, well, we're doing God's will, but you're not doing it God's way because, see, those modern Bible versions are strange fire. They did not come from God. God did not inspire those. God did not preserve those. Those are not God's words. Here's, a, here's another example. Go, 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 go to Psalms. Go, go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 40. Psalm 40, and look at verse number uh, 3. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in uh, the book of Psalms. While you, while you go there, you know, I'll read for you from Ephesians 5.19. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. That's talking about memorizing the words of God. He says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly uh, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Are you there in Psalm 40? Look at verse 3. The Bible says, he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. See, contemporary Christian music today, that's strange fire. That, that music did not come from God. That, and, and people say, oh, well, we, if we're going to reach people, we got to reach them with their music. we got to reach them with the music that they were listening to before they got saved. But see, when you get saved, the Bible says, he hath put a new song in my mouth. You say, well, the, 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 the old hymns, is that the new song? Yeah, it's new to you. Because guess, guess what people aren't singing today out in the world? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. They're not singing faith of our fathers. They're not singing it is well with my soul. And here's what he's saying. When you got saved, he said, I gave you a new song. You used to have another song. You used to have a worldly song. You used to have the world's music. And by the way, some of you still have the world's music. You ought to take care of that. You know, you ought to quit listening to whatever you listen to as a, as a young person or whatever, you know, the country music or rap music or whatever, you know, rock music. And here's the thing. The contemporary Christian music of today is strange fire. It did not come from God. It did not. God did not give that to us. It is music that is conformed to this world. You see, the source is the world. It comes from the world. Let me give you another example of, uh, of strange fire that's being used today is the evangelistic crusades evangelistic crusade. See, for a long time, people wanted to attack soul winning, so they attacked soul winning by teaching, uh, you know, lifestyle evangelism. That's strange fire. Lifestyle evangelism not found in the Bible. Now, your lifestyle ought to be such that people will, be, will, will respect you and want to listen to you, give them the gospel, but simply by your lifestyle, you're not going to get people saved. But that's kind of been done away with. The liberals have, have gone away from lifestyle evangelism, and they've, they've gone back. See, Billy Graham made, you know, those old evangelistic crusades. Remember those old evangelistic crusades that Billy Graham used to have, and, and, and men of his generation, you know, they decided that that was a way to preach the gospel. You know, you go and get some big arena somewhere. You come into town, you bring a big name preacher in and, and you bring all these unsaved people into one congregation and you preach the gospel to them. And, and that kind of had gone away, but that's making a comeback. I don't know if you know that, but it, it's making a comeback. And I wanted to give you a couple examples of that. One example is a, a man by the name of Greg Laurie. He's doing these Harvest America Crusades. 
And uh, he's having a big one here in a few weeks, I think. Let me read to you from their website. It says this, Harvest America is an annual live nationwide free event streamed to thousands of host locations, including churches, theaters, and living rooms. The goal of Harvest America is to impact a nation desperately in need of hope. Well, that sounds nice. The event features top Christian artists, that's the world's music, and a clear gospel message by Greg Glory. Harvest America is designed to be an opportunity for Christians to invite family members, co-workers, friends, and acquaintances to hear the life-changing message of the gospel. And this is my favorite part. In an environment that is entertaining and non-threatening. And, and here's the thing. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. You don't find that in the Bible. Amen. Well, you, you know what you find in the Bible when it comes to preaching the gospel? You find the Lord Jesus Christ sending his apostles out two by two. You know what you find in the Bible when it comes to preaching the gospel? You find them going house to house, from house to house. You find the Apostle Paul saying, and for me, that, uh, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, when you look at what the Bible says, the Bible says that we are to go and confront people with the gospel. We are to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Not into the church house, but into God's house. We're supposed to preach the gospel, take it to them. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever find instructions where we're being told, bring the unbelievers into the house of God and we'll preach to them. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to go out personally. And isn't that what Christ did? I mean, as you say the Gospels, don't you see the Lord Jesus Christ connecting with individuals, giving the Gospel to individuals? Whenever he's preaching to a crowd, he's never preaching the Gospel. He's preaching all sorts of doctrines. He's preaching all, sometimes he's, it's hard sermons. Sometimes it's encouraging sermons. Sometimes he's calling the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the scribes hypocrites. And sometimes he's preaching great truths like the Sermon on the Mount. But whenever he's preaching the gospel, it's on an individual basis. That's the pattern that was given us in the Bible. The Bible tells us that the church is, to, is, is for believers to come and hear the word of God. We're not supposed to bring unbelievers here and preach the gospel to them. Sometimes people will criticize me because you, know, you never preach the gospel, you know, uh, in the church service. You're preaching about dinosaurs, you know, and you're preaching about this, and you're preaching about that. You never preach the gospel. Well, here's the thing. I don't preach the gospel in the church services. And, and here's the thing. I do preach the gospel in the church services because sometimes I preach against, you know, false doctrines like losing your salvation or repenting of your sins. But that's not our major focus here because the church is supposed to be for believers. We're edifying believers. We're growing believers. And you know what we do do after the service? We find all the guests and we give them the gospel. And we give them a chance to hear the gospel on a personal level directly just like the Bible says. You say, well, what's wrong with Harvest America? America is that God never said to do it that way. It's strange fire. There's another guy that's uh, famous who does this. He was here in Sacramento not too long ago, maybe two or three years ago. Uh, what's his name? Louis Palau. He does these free family-friendly festivals. They're called Festival Evangelism. Let me read this to you from his website. Uh, these festivals are meant to engage every level of the community, from civic leaders to church congregations. They demonstrate the love of Jesus and proclaim his good news on a massive scale. They incorporate great music, great fun, jaw-dropping action, sports, and demos. They'll have, you know, I don't know, like these motorcycles come in and do all these tricks and all these weird things. Yeah, I just, I, don't, I missed that in the book of Acts. I, I didn't really see that. Uh, uh, family fun zone, uh, prison outreaches, powerful affinity uh, events to, for many sectors of society. And through it all, Lewis and Andrew Palau will share a clear message of Jesus Christ in a relevant and authentic way. The festival will no doubt draw the attention of many and mobilize many Christians to pray for their unbelieving friends and invite them to know Jesus. And here's all I'm telling you. You say, why, why, will, why, would, why don't we do that? 
You know, why don't we do these events? We're going to go to San Jose. We're taking, I think we have 75 of our soul winners signed up to go to San Jose on Saturday. Spend the entire day knocking on doors, preaching the gospel. You say, why do you do that? And we've got others that have said they're going to come that aren't from our church. But why would we do that? Because that's the way that God said to do it. See, here's what the liberals say. They'll say, well, we're doing the will of God. We're just using the world's music. Or we're, using, we're doing the will of God. We're just using the devil's Bible. Because it's just, because, you know, the world likes the devil's version more. More than like God's version. Uh, or they'll say, we're, we're doing the will of God, but we're just using different methods. Well, listen to me. What we learn from Nadab and Abihu is this, that it's not enough to simply do the will of God. We must do the will of God, but we must do it God's way. We have to do it the way God said to do it. If God said, don't bring strange fire, then don't bring strange fire. You say, what makes it strange when, you, when it's from a different source? God already told us what kind of music to use. God already told us what kind of preaching to have. God already told us what kind of methods to use. So we just use God's methods. And there's nothing wrong with trying different things as long as we're uh, staying within the guidelines of Scripture. But the first lesson we learn here is that we are to do God's will, God's way. We are to do it how God said to do it. And you say, well, what did Nadab and Abihu do that was so bad? Here's what they did that was so bad is that they brought fire from a different source. And they disobeyed what God told them to do. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10. Look at verse 2. Not only do we see that we are to do God's will, God's way. There's another lesson in this chapter. Leviticus chapter 10, look at verse 2. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. That's Nadab and Abihu. And they died before the Lord. These young men died. And look, I don't necessarily think these guys were bad guys. I just think they thought, you know, wasn't that big of a deal. Why does it matter where we get the fire from? Why does it matter what kind of music we use? Why does it matter what kind of methods we use? They died. Look at verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron. Now keep in mind, Aaron, that's dad. Nadab and Abihu are his sons. Then Moses said unto Aaron. This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that came nigh me. Now, please understand what Moses just said to Aaron. He, he, here's what he basically said. He said, they should have done it right. He said, they didn't do it right. He said, this is that the Lord spake. He said, God already told us, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. If you're going to come nigh to God, here's what he's saying. If you're going to come close to God, you've got to do it God's way. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Now, notice, and Aaron, that's dad, held his peace. Didn't say anything. Look verse 4. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. So this is a family matter. And keep in mind, Aaron is Moses' brother. These are uh, his family as well. This is a family issue. And, and he, he called the, uncles, uh, the uncle of Aaron and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. Look at verse 6. And Moses said unto Aaron. Remember, that's dad. Some man, a, a father that just lost two of his sons. And unto Eleazar, that's brother. There's a man that just lost two of his brothers. And unto Ithamar, that's another brother, his sons. Notice what, notice what Moses said. Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. He, he, you know what he just told him? He said, don't mourn, Nadab and Abihu. He said, I, I don't want to see any emotion from you. 
I don't want you to uncover your head. I don't want you to rend your clothes. I don't want to see you cry. I don't want to see a sad face. He's saying, don't mourn for these young men. Keep your place there in Leviticus 10. Go go to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. He said, what's the lesson that we can learn here? Here's what I want you to understand, and and I hope you'll get this because I think... I think what I'm about to teach you, and I've taught this before, it's not new to any of you, I don't think. What I'm about to teach you is probably one of the most unpopular, one of the most unpopular things that we teach as Christians. And if you can get this, you will be on your way to being a a Christian that will continue on uh, their entire life. You'll be able to be like the Apostle Paul and finish your course. And if you don't get this, you will be a castaway. You will not make it in the Christian life. And that is this. Here's the second lesson. We must side with God over our own families. Amen. We, you have to learn to side with God over your own families. So you know what happens? Here's what happens. Pastor Jimenez gets up and preaches against fornication and says, you are not living fornication and you are not live, you know, that way and, you, and you, sh- you, you shouldn't be living together and it's wickedness and it's sin and we'll kick you out of church and blah, blah. And everybody's like, amen, 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 when they don't know anybody that's in fornication. But then when it's their sister or their daughter or their friend, all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know about all that. I don't, is that really the way we're supposed to do it? You know, you know what God says? God says you're supposed to side with him even if it's your own family, you have to go against. Amen. See, the truth of the matter is this. The word of God will put you at odds with your family more, more likely than not. Now, hopefully not. Hopefully your family gets saved. Hopefully you right here in this room can be that, 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 that you can change the family tree. And from here on, all your children and grandchildren will uh, serve God and love the Lord. And you'll always be united in that. But some of you have had to make some very strong decisions and separate from your families. Because even when your children sin, even when your spouse sins, even when close friends sin, the Bible teaches that we are always to side with God, even if it means against our own families. And here, even in this story, Moses is expressing to Aaron and to his sons, you cannot give the slightest impression that you think God did anything wrong. He said, you, you, you cannot give the slightest just, just uh, uh, innuendo to the fact that, you, that, that he might have been a little too harsh. He said, you better make sure you side with God on this one. Don't uncover your head. Don't rend your clothes. Don't mourn. You better make sure that everybody understands that you are on God's side. Are you there in Matthew 10? Look at verse 34. Matthew 10, verse 34. This is what Jesus said. See, we love the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? We love the blessed are this and blessed are that. But Jesus also said this, Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And he that loveth, don't miss this, he that loveth, Father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth, Aaron, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And here's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching that the word of God and the gospel of Christ and, the, and righteousness might, it might put you at odds with your family. And you better learn, you better know which side 
God expects you to stand on it. Keep, keep your place there in Matthew 10. We're going to come right back to it. Go, go to Luke chapter 14. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 14. God expects you to choose him over your own family. When I say that, people say, you're a cult leader. Then Jesus was a cult leader. God expects you to choose him over your own family. God expects you to choose him over your own family. We must side with God over our own families. You know what happens when you learn to side with God over your own families? Siding with God over a bunch of filthy sodomites isn't that difficult. See, the funny thing is that we got Christians, they can't, they can't even, they don't even want to offend the filthy perverts out there. You know, much less have any sort of disagreements with their family. But God expects us to choose him over our own families. So you're there in Luke 14, look at verse 25. Luke 14 and verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, notice what he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father, Jesus, really? And mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. I'm supposed to hate all those people? But notice what he says at the end. He says, yea, and his own life also. He's saying that, that if, if, if you got to choose, if you got to choose between yourself and God, you choose God. And if you got to choose between father and God or mother and God or wife and God or children and God or brother and God or sister and God, you, that you, you will choose God. But you know what mom will say? You know what sister will say? You know what family's going to say? They say that you can ask many people in this room because they've experienced. You know what they'll say? Here's what they'll say. Do you hate me? Why, why do you hate us so much? Ever since you got saved, you, you hate us. And it's the thing. It's not that I hate you, but I have to choose God. And they'll interpret that as hate. They'll interpret it as that. Well, how do you hate? You know, you're just, why? you're in a cult. But notice what he says. Notice what he says, verse 26. Yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You are not a follower of Christ. You are not a disciple of Christ when you are more loyal to anyone on this earth, including mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband. You are not a disciple of Christ when you are more loyal to anyone on this earth than Christ. He says, you cannot be my disciple. And by the way, this is why you need to get connected into a good spiritual family. You have to get connected into a good family because some of you have to walk away from your families in order to be saved. And I'm not saying you got saved by walking away from your family, but to, when you got saved and you started walking with God, you walked away from that. And, and God expects you to have a spiritual family. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 46, just real quickly. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. It's interesting because Jesus himself had family that did not believe on him while he was on this earth. Matthew 12 and verse 46 says this, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said to him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with him. Here's the question I have, because he's, he's in the middle of a sermon right now. He's preaching, he's ministering, and they're without. The question I have is, why aren't they within? Why aren't they in church? Why aren't they in part of the, the, the congregation? Look at verse 48. But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? See, you, you say, oh, I can't, I can't separate from my family just to serve God. Oh, are you better than Jesus? 
Because when he was ministering and they were without and they said, hey, you want to take some time from ministry? You want to take some time from your sermon to deal with your family that doesn't even want to come in to hear you preach? And the response he gave was, who is my mother and who are my brother? Notice verse 49. And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples, towards the church members, towards his soul winning partners and said, behold, my mother and my brother. You know what he was saying? I've got a new spiritual family. That's more important. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Doesn't Proverbs say, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? See, sometimes you'll become more closer to people you're not related to. I'm not saying you have to be at odds with your family. We should try to get our family saved. We should try to get our family connected to church. We try to get our family walking with God. At the very least, if they're not hostile towards us, we can keep that relationship while serving God. But some of you need to make that decision because it's not that your, your family is hostile. They're trying to stop you. They're trying to keep you from church. They're trying to keep you from growing in Christ. And you've got to make that decision as a disciple of Christ. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you've got to decide that sometimes you choose God. You have to make that decision to choose God over family. Aaron wasn't even allowed to mourn his sons because he could not even give the slightest indication that he thought God did anything wrong. Go to the book of Ephesians. Let me just read a couple verses and then we'll get back to Leviticus. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 and look at verse 19. And, you know, I've been pastoring now for almost seven years and I've watched people who just cannot learn to separate from their families end up separating from God. It's the truth. Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, notice this, and the household of God. Aren't you glad when you got saved you got a new family? He said, hey, you're, you're, you're fellow citizens with the saints, and you're, he said, no, you're not just a citizen, you're now of the household of God. God is your heavenly father. That's why we say brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Why do we call you sister and brother? Because you are my sister and you are my brother in the faith. Amen. Ephesians 3, look at verse 14. You're there in 2, just one, one chapter over. Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom, notice, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Please understand what I'm saying. And I, I want you, because sometimes people misquote things or they take, say things that I never said. If your family is not saved, but they're not hostile towards you, they don't mind you serving God. They don't look. I'm not saying separate, don't separate from them. Try to get them saved. But I'm talking about situations where you've got a brother or a sister or a spouse or a, or a, a, a child that is actively serving against God. Nadab and Abihu were just disobedient to God, and Aaron had to make a choice, and the choice was to side with God. Over family. And if your family is forcing you to choose, if your family is just living a life that you just can't have your children around, you've got to decide as a Christian that we must side with God over our own families. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. So what was the first lesson? The first lesson was we, we must do God's will, God's way. We must do God's will, God's way. The second lesson was we must side with God over our own families. And really, we must side with God over anybody. We must side with God over everybody. Number three, the, the rest of these I think will go fairly quickly. Leviticus 10, look at verse 6. And Moses said unto Aaron, unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons, 
Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. Now, Aaron was told specifically, you cannot give in any indication that you are, that you think God did anything wrong. But notice what Moses says. But, he says, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning, which the Lord hath kindled. He's telling Aaron, it's okay if everyone else in the congregation bewails this. It's okay if everyone else in the congregation holds a funeral and cries. It's okay. In fact, he called his uncle and, and, and he said, hey, can you go bury these young men? He said, it's okay if everyone else you know, mourns it, but you, Aaron, and you, Eleazar, and you, Ithamar, cannot do it. Notice, but let your brethren, verse 6, let your brethren, the whole of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled, verse 7, and ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. And you say, Moses, why are you being such a jerk to Aaron? Why are you being so hard on Aaron? Notice this phrase, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Remember in the last chapter, these men just got anointed to be the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. Aaron is now the high priest. His sons are the priests. And here's what he's telling them. Leaders do not get to act like followers. Leaders do not get to act like followers. He says, you're the leader, Aaron. You're the leader, Aaron. It's okay if everybody else cries. It's okay if everybody else complains. It's okay if everybody else says, well, why did God do that? And and why is God so mean? It's fine if everybody else does that, but Aaron, you're the leader. The anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And let me explain something to you. Those of you that want to be pastors, you're training for the ministry. And those of you that are married to men who want to be pastors, and one day you will be a pastor's wife. Let me explain something to you that you need to just learn before you go into ministry. Leaders do not get to act like followers. Leaders do not get to act like followers. I got people all the time acting all sorts of... There are conversations that I have to walk away from. There are conversations that my wife just has to walk away from. Because as the pastor's wife, she just cannot be part of that conversation. It's okay if you want to do it, but we can't. I can't be a part of that. As a pastor, there are conversations I just have to walk away from. There, there, are situ- I mean, there are situations, kids get hurt around here every week, and parents get so mad and so upset, and I'm not mad at you if you get mad when your kids get upset. I get mad when my kids get hurt. But you know, my daughter gets poked in the eye by some little brat. Guess what I don't get to do? I don't get to throw a fit. You know why? Because I'm the pastor. You know, I have to go into my office and just kind of cool down because I want to go spank that child myself. But I'm the pastor, and she's the pastor's wife. And you just got to learn. You just got to get this. Leaders don't get to act like followers. When you're the leader, you're expected to act a certain way. Sometimes you don't get to show your emotions. Sometimes you don't get to mourn. Sometimes you, don't, you, you just don't get to. Say, so, well, didn't Aaron? And, 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 and please understand this. I'm sure there were people. I'm sure there were all sorts of women. What's wrong with Aaron? Why is he mourning his own children? What's wrong with him? Leaders get misunderstood all the time. Leaders get misunderstood all the time. Why did pastors say that? If you knew what I knew, if you know what I know, see, as a pastor, I, I get to, I, 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 because of my position, I get to know a lot of different things that I'm not at liberty to discuss with everyone. 
And sometimes I have to make decisions. Sometimes my wife has to make decisions. Sometimes there's things that we have to do. And, and I realize that people think, well, why is he doing that? That's kind of weird. It's just because the anointing oil is upon me. And if you're going to be a leader one day, I'm talking to you guys that want to be pastors, just figure this out. Realize it right now. Leaders do not get to act like followers. Moses said, it's okay if everybody else mourns them, but you don't mourn them. Aaron's such a jerk. Why wouldn't he mourn his own children? Because he has to side with God publicly. Because when it comes to the public ministry, you, you've got to always, whether you're mad or upset or whether you agree or whatever the situation is, you always have to side with God. You always have to side with what the Bible says. Well, don't you think, I, I may think that too. I may agree with you, but I don't have the liberty to say the things you get to say. Because the anointing oil is upon me. Leaders don't get to act like followers. Look at verse 8. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor a strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Now, it seems like he goes into a different thing now. And, he, and here's lesson number four. Priests should not drink alcohol. And it seems like he's going into a different thing now. But he does come back to the story of Nadab and Abihu. And I'm not going to tell you that, that they were drunk and that's why God said it. But there seems to be some indication that alcohol played a part because he just kind of brings it up randomly. And you may think like, well, he's just moving on to a different section. But we go back to the story of Nadab and Abihu after these few verses on alcohol. So it may seem that alcohol maybe played a part. But either way, here's the lesson. Priests should not drink alcohol. Somebody should say that to the Catholics. Priests should not drink wine. Look at verse 9. Or look at verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink. Now, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it for you. Revelation 1 to 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 2, 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, the Bible says about you and I that we are both kings and priests. Unto God and his Father. We are a royal priesthood because we're not just priests, we're also royalty. We are kings and priests. And here's what's interesting about that. In the book of Proverbs, in fact, let's turn there just real quickly. Go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. You know the book of Proverbs, the famous virtuous woman passage. Proverbs 31, look at verse 4. Proverbs 31 and verse 4. Proverbs 31 and verse 4 says this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto them that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Here's what's interesting. In Proverbs 31, we're told, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Keep your finger there, Proverbs 31. Go back to Leviticus 10, verse 9. Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, talking to the priests. It's interesting that the priests were forbidden to drink wine, the kings were forbidden to drink wine, and then in the New Testament, God says, you're a king and you're a priest. 
Kings and priests unto God and your father. Now, I don't think anybody should drink. I think the Bible forbids everybody drinking. But today you've got people who say, oh, well, you can drink in moderation. But here's what's interesting. Even if you think other people can drink in moderation, if you're a king and a priest, you're not, you're forbidden. So here's what I do know. No Christian's allowed to drink any alcohol. Say, why? Because you're a priest. Why? Because you're a king. Why? Here's why. Notice, notice what it says. Look at verse 10. Leviticus 10.10. 10. And that, the, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes. Go to Proverbs 31. Look at verse 5. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Aren't those the two same reasons? Here's what he's saying. As a priest and as a king, you represent God on this earth, so don't ever drink alcohol so you don't have bad judgment. Because you know what people do when they get drunk? They make stupid decisions. They destroy their lives. They commit adultery. They run over people. They do, things, they do drugs. They do other stupid things. Listen, listen to me, kids, children. Don't drink alcohol. Say, why? Because you're a king and you're a priest. Because you're better than that. And, and, and people don't like it when I say this, but I don't, I don't care. And you say, well, other people do it. Yeah, but you know what? When you got saved, you became a king and a priest. You became an ambassador for Christ. You're better than that. Amen. Give, give it to them, I guess, you know, if they're perishing. But you are a child of God. You represent God on this earth. You're better than that. And it's forbidden for priests. And it's forbidden for kings. And you happen to be both. When you got into the household of God. You became a king and a priest. Go, go back to Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10. Look at verse 12. Let's look at the fifth lesson. What's the fifth lesson? I won't, I'll just show you this one and we'll, we'll move on. I don't want to deal with it. Leviticus 10, 12. And Moses spake unto Aaron, unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his son, that were left. Take the meat offering that remaineth of the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy, and ye shall eat it in the holy place, because, notice this phrase, it is thy due, and thy sons do. Of the sacrifices of the Lord made by fire, for so I am commanded. And the wave breast and the heave shoulder shall ye eat in a clean place, thou and thy sons and thy daughters with thee. For, notice this phrase, they be thy due, and thy sons do. What does that mean? It means we owe it to you. Why? Because again, we learn from this passage, spiritual leaders should get paid. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Priests got paid for their work. And, and I'm not going to go there. We've already dealt with it. But in the New Testament, we are instructed that pastors, those who preach the gospel in the New Testament, are to get paid in the same way that the priests got paid in the Old Testament, which is through the tithes and the offerings that come in. I'm just, you say, why do you keep bringing that up? Because there's these stupid doctrines out there. People want to attack the position of a pastor. They want to attack, you know, the fact that we're meeting in a building. You know, they want to attack tithing and all of those things. And here's why they attack those things. Because all of those things are connected. Because the Bible says that you're supposed to pay your pastor. How do you pay your pastor? Through tithes and offerings. You know? and, and look, you guys pay me well. I'm not, I'm not preaching at you like we have a problem. It's just I just want to bring that up every time. Because people, and people, even in our independent form of Baptist movement, you'll have people that go down that road and that thinking. And that is wrong thinking. It's not what the Bible teaches. Look at verse 15. The, heaven, the, the heave shoulder and the wave breast, they shall bring with the offerings made by fire of the fat to wave it for the wave offering for the Lord, and it shall be thine and thy sons with thee by a statute forever as the Lord hath commanded. Here's lesson number six. Look at verse 16. And Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt. And he was, notice this word, angry. 
He was angry with Eleazar. Now, Moses' anger is not justified. It's wrong. But before you get, you know, you start judging Moses too much, you realize that two of his nephews just died. And it's because they didn't do things exactly right. So I think he's a little bit tense right now because, you know, he's like, wants to make sure things are getting done right. He doesn't want to see anybody else get hurt. So Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive, again, emphasizing, we're, back to, we're still in the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were left alive, emphasizing the fact that these two young men just died, and he's looking for the ones that did not die, and he's angry with them, saying, so what's he angry about? Look at verse 17. Wherefore have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, seeing it is most holy, and God has given it you to bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. We just got done reading that. It was their due. It was their pay. They were supposed to eat it, but they didn't. They didn't eat it. And Moses is upset. Why didn't you eat it? God told you to eat it. Do you want to die like your sons? Verse 18, Behold, the blood of it was not brought in within the holy place. You should indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, here's what he says, Behold, this day have they offered their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. Talking about the fact that his two boys just died. And if I had eaten the sin offering today, should it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? Here's what he's saying. My heart, and this goes well with our sermon on Sunday night. He's saying my heart is not in the place to do these offerings and these things that are supposed to be things of rejoicing. He said, I, I, he said, I, I, know, I know I'm not out there. I know out there I'm not supposed to show. I'm not supposed to show them my emotions. And I'm not supposed to show them that I'm sad or scared or upset. But in here, he said, my heart's heavy. And that's why I didn't need it. And that's why I didn't partake in it. He said, because in my state, it wouldn't have been accepted. And here's what he's saying. God doesn't care about the sacrifice. He cares about your heart. Isn't that what we learned on Sunday night? God doesn't care about... He said, I could have gone through the motions. I could have gone through the activity. I could have gone through all those steps. But, but my heart, he said, all these things have befallen me. He said, I, I, I'm, in my heart, I'm mourning my children. And God wouldn't have accepted it. Notice what he says, what, what it says in verse 20. And when Moses heard that, he was content. What's lesson number six? Lesson number six is this. Attempt, attempt to understand before you judge. Attempt to understand before you judge. The book of Proverbs tells us that, that we are to not speak about a matter until we know everything that's going on in that situation. Attempt to understand before you judge. And if you cannot understand everything that's going on, why don't you just give your brother the benefit of the doubt? And again... This is talking specifically about a priest, a spiritual leader. You know, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll preach this to you because I don't know who else is going to preach it to you. I'm, I'm the pastor here. I'm the only one that gets to, to preach these things to you. But if Pastor Jimenez takes certain steps, if Pastor Jimenez does certain things, and, and you, and, and you, but before you start criticizing and judging, and well, I don't know why Mr. Rand did that, and I don't know why Pastor did that, and I don't, why don't you just attempt to understand before you judge? And if you can't get all the facts, why don't you just give us a pen for the doubt? Before you get all angry. Amen. 
Man, I have so many situations where people come to me and they're like, so-and-so said that. You did this in this situation, but you didn't do this in this situation. I think to myself, I can't, I can't tell you about five of the pieces that you're missing to that puzzle because I'm a pastor and I'm bound by confidentiality not to tell you everybody's personal situation. But see, if I only knew what you knew, I'd be mad too. But see, you don't know all these other things that are going on. So before you get all critical and judgmental, why don't you attempt to understand? And if you can't, why don't you just give the benefit of the doubt? Before you start getting all angry, why don't you eat this? Why don't you say, you know what? Aaron's going through a lot right now. And I know Aaron loves God. And I know Aaron's not perfect. And I know there's a lot of issues right now. And maybe there's an explanation for it. And maybe there's a reason his wife decided to take that step or decide. Maybe there's a reason why pastor decided to go down that road. Maybe there's a reason why pastor didn't take my advice in that situation. Maybe there's just a reason that I don't see. And you know, you know that that'll help you in your marriage if you attempt to understand before you judge? You know that that'll help you with your children if you attempt to understand before you judge? You know that it'll make you someone who people will love when you choose to say, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Didn't we learn about charity on Sunday night? You know what 1 Corinthians 13 says about charity? It says, charity hopeth. It says it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You know what believeth all things means? Here's what it means. It means I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume that there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing. I'm going to assume that there's a reason why you're saying what you're saying. I'm just going to leave it alone. And if I can understand, I'll try to understand. And if I can't understand, then I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt. Attempt to understand before you judge. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these practical lessons that we can learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us. I pray that you would help all of us to be able to have these people skills in our lives. Lord, help me. Sometimes people make decisions and I don't understand them. Sometimes me as a pastor can get frustrated with people and maybe there's just something I don't know. Something they're dealing with that I don't understand. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to just be graceful with each other. To give each other the benefit of the doubt. To bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. To practice charity in our lives. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.